Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy. Once Trump started hitting back at you on a number of fronts, he took aim at your weight. What was your reaction to that? Oh, well, like he's some Adonis? Um, I mean, please. Uh, you know, look, Howie, there are tens of millions of Americans out in your audience watching right now who, like me, have struggled with their weight. I continue to struggle. I continue to try to do better. Um, and so do they. And what's that got to do with my competence for office? I ran the governorship of New Jersey for eight years, um, I think in a very energetic, successful way. Responded to Hurricane Sandy, working 20 hours a day for weeks. Um, I don't know what his point is. You know what it is? It's like a child. It's a bully on the schoolyard who teases you and makes fun of you. But here's my message to him. I don't care what he says about me, and I don't care what he thinks about me. And he should take a look in the mirror every once in a while. Maybe he dropped the weight thing um, off of his list of criticisms. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, Chris Christie striking a blow for full-bodied people everywhere, something I appreciate. I should say that Mike Murphy uh, had to take the day off at the last minute, and uh, I found a couple of Adonises to fill in. One is uh, the man himself, the uh, the guy they call in Texas the uh, all-hat-no-party, I think is what they say in, <laughs> in Texas, Mark McKinnon from The Circus on Showtime. And before I introduce our next very special guest, I want to run a little sound. A strike and an out away from a natty. Two outs, runner at first. The 0-2 pitch. Swing and a miss! And all is right in the world. Tigers win! Tigers win! The national championship is headed back to Baton Rouge. The dog pile begins left of the mound. (laughs) That can only mean one thing. (laughs) That can only mean one thing. We've got the greatest LSU fan in the in the world with us also a living legend uh the the greatest hack of his of our time uh james carville james it's great to see you i'm so glad i'm sure you've been uh, rampaging in the streets until very early in the morning so to, for right. you to get up and join us today is really quite a sacrifice I, I had no trouble getting up this morning i just just watching replays and uh they're gonna have a Ceremony at one thirty at Alex Box Stadium's gonna be ninety eight degrees. <laughs> You're going out? I'm no, I'm in the Shenandoah Valley, but I'll be watching on WFB TV or something. I'll be I'll be live streaming for sure. <laughs> so listen, you guys, Christie probably going nowhere. I mean, his numbers are not good. It's not clear that there's a the party that he's running in exists anymore. McKinnon, you would know something about that. But just from a pure clinical standpoint. The guy is kind of putting a master class on out there in in media and how to use media. He's in a different class than most of these other presidential candidates, don't you think? Oh, he is, definitely. And, you know, listen, you know, for pugilists everywhere, it's going to be get out the popcorn. Uh, and this is what everybody's been waiting for, somebody to confront Trump, uh, you know, head on. And, you know, while the lanes are thin, there's a lane in New Hampshire. New Hampshire likes that kind of stuff. And, and as we all know, you know, throw the national polls out the window. What, what it counts is what happens in Iowa, New Hampshire. And Christie could get some traction up there and he could, he could, you know, throw his weight around. And if he so gets to all speak. the, if he gets all the, the BMI, the lanes, buttons, the so lanes are thin. He can throw his weight around. You've, you're, you've jumped right into the, if he gets all the overweight voters, you know, the BMI index over 15 and he'll win. 
Yeah, he should probably enter in Iowa as well, for that matter. Carville, there's a strategic question about all of this, which is Trump is the still a colossus on the Republican in the Republican lane, but DeSantis is a very distant second, but far ahead of the other guys. Wouldn't you spend a little time going after him and getting him out of the way and trying to make this more of a uh, get a little more oxygen in the tank? Well, you get DeSantis out of the way, you're saying? Yeah, I mean, like nobody's taking shots at him. Everybody's going after Trump. Well, well one person is taking shots at him, and that's Trump. Yeah, that's true. Who and that, that's the most effective on that side. That that that's the most effective headshot that he can get. Uh, Christy, just tell you a backstory. He and I did a event at Hobart William Smith College in Upstate New York this past October. And as you guys know, when you do these college events, you got to do a class and. Right. You know, the donors and the community events. So we spent a lot of time together, like in the green room. He hates Donald Trump like you can't believe. Why? Yeah. Because he Trump almost gave killed him, him COVID. He almost, he almost killed, killed him. him. Yeah. Yeah, almost killed him. He didn't. Trump had COVID. They were doing debate prep, and Trump didn't tell him. Yeah. And Christie told me he was in, in ICU for a week, and he told his wife goodbye. And Trump called, and his only message was, don't tell anybody I gave you. He didn't even ask how he was doing. Yeah, so, yeah, that's classic. Chris Christie is going to chase him around forever. He hates yeah. him. He hates him. I, he, he just in a, in a profound way that somebody like if he, you would hate somebody too if they had a, a deadly disease, you know. Yes, but but the most important person to attack Ron DeSantis is Donald Trump, and he's doing and he's it. doing he's it. Doing he's it. doing, he's it. doing yes. it. He's doing it. Listen, I guess that's the theory for all of these guys is let these. You know, now Christie's jumping into the fight with Trump, and I think to some effect, but to just let the two, uh, those two guys post up in the lane, beat the hell out of each other, and hope that the rebound uh, comes your way, McKinnon. Is that, is that a, is that a realistic expectation? I mean, it, it's realistic that Trump could eliminate DeSantis. It's harder to believe that DeSantis eliminates Trump. Yeah, but listen, I mean, from DeSantis's perspective, it's great. I mean, Christie's a great addition to the to the to the to the card, you know, because he's taking all the shots that DeSantis wants to take, but but needs somebody else to do it for him. So yeah. DeSantis can sit back and, like you said, just you know, watch the, and try and drive up the middle. There are a bunch of guys hanging out there. Uh, Glenn Youngkin was the latest as they sort of let the word out that yeah, you know, he's still maybe in the game. How late can someone actually emerge here if they're not already in this race? Well. In 1968, Lyndon Johnson was running in March of that election year. Okay, I, I mean, if 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 somebody dropped dead, you'd get another candidate. I mean, I, you know, I was just in, so short of that. And short of that, uh, you different know, time and, and too. I, you know, you you would be more current on this, and I would be. But to get on the ballot in states, I mean, it yeah, takes some forethought. You just can't announce that I'm running for president one day. Yeah. And, you're you're on the, the slate everywhere, but the truth of the matter is is that you know it's possible to get in. But we didn't announce Clinton didn't announce until October of 1991. Now it was a different time. I agree. Yeah, but, yeah. But, well, but, it's but a different you, time, but in some ways it's easier now. I mean, yeah. with, with internet and technology, you can really easy to get signatures and and, and by the way, money. I think Glenn Youngkin is a great candidate in waiting. I've always thought that he'd be a terrific face for the Republican Party, much more Reagan-esque, compassionate, conservative, you know, the sort of Republican I'd like to see running. 
Yeah, I hear that a lot, and I've seen him, and and he's talented, and he's, you know, he he's uh, he's a good storyteller. Um, I was a little surprised when he went out and campaigned for um, uh, for uh, Carrie Lake in Arizona. I was surprised when he took a shot at uh, Nancy Pelosi when her husband was attacked, and that said to me, you know, this guy's got a lot to learn yet. And I don't know if he's got the time to learn those things, but uh, those were missteps, and I don't know why he took them. Yeah, they they were, but I, I think he is a guy who learns fast, though, David. I, I think he sort of acknowledges where he screwed up, and he he doesn't do it twice. Uh, he's he's a he's still a book burner. I don't care what he does. I, I don't. I, I'm not for book burning. That's a very progressive position you're taking there, Carville. Yeah, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, my bar for Republicans these days is not an insurrectionist. So I start there. Or eating with a fork and knife is that the Pudding, pudding with us. What do you think the odds are right now that Trump is the nominee of the party? You know, I, I mean, this sounds like I'm, I'm crawfishing, which is moving backwards in Louisiana. Yes. But to be determined, he is in profound, profound legal jeopardy. Yeah. I mean, you don't, if I'm his lawyer, I'm, I'm back channeling the White House counsel right now, figuring out a way that I could get a pardon or a commutation of Senate. I mean, it, it, and it's going to get nothing but worse. Yeah. And it's, you know, right now he's out saying it's an honor to, to, to be that, that tape that CNN released. Yeah, last night. Oh, my God. The deal is he's been indicted. And part of this indictment is that he was waving around a highly, highly classified document about potential battle plans relative to Iran in an interview in 2021 and acknowledge, well, you can hear what he does. Let me see that, I'll show you an example. He said that I wanted to attack Iran. Isn't it amazing? I have a big pile of papers. This thing just came up, look. This was him. They presented me this, this is off the record, but they presented me this. This was him. This was the Defense Department and him. Wow. We looked at some. This was him. This wasn't done by me. This was him. Yeah. All sorts of stuff. It's pages long. Look. Mm. Wait a minute. Let's see here. Yeah. <laughs> I just found. Isn't that amazing? This totally wins my case, you know. Mm-hmm. Except it is like highly confidential, yeah. <laughs> secret. This is secret information. Yeah. But look, look at this. You attack. And Hillary would print that out all the time. You know? That's like a prosecutor would dream of evidence like that. Yeah, listen, I mean, the, the two two forces that were, you know, terrified by the exposure of that and the, the detail of that are his lawyers and Trump himself for the long term. I mean, that that's a conviction tape right there. I mean, at some point, they're going to convict him. They have a holdout jury. The question is at what point? And, you yeah, know. I think it'll be after the presidency. But, but I, I will also say that for the Trump base, they hear that and they hear something completely. Well, first of all, they probably won't hear it. Second of all, if they do, they, they'll toss it off just like everything else. Well, you Trump. can see that in poll after poll after yeah. poll. So I would say that for the short term, politically for Trump, again, it just creates a dividing line. He says, you're either with the DOJ and the Democrats and Biden or you're with me, which is very difficult for the other candidates out there. And by the way, the exhibit A on this and the hypocrisy in the, in the box that he's in is DeSantis. DeSantis now has has said without a trial, without evidence, that he will pardon Trump uh, if he's elected president. Trump's convicted, and and at the same breath he says, when he was in the military, if he had been guilty of the same 
uh, uh, actions, he would have been court-martialed. Right. So, there you have yeah. it. They're all tripping over each other. I just bring a little history perspective here. Lennon famously said, you go decades and nothing happens, and you go weeks and decades happen. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, you're right. It, you know, his Republican number remains strong. If anything, it gets a tad stronger. Right. Uh, his general election numbers but less impressive, but it, it, there's a, everything has a breaking point. I agree with that. And this is a, sort of the man who would be king theory as soon as he bleeds and is bases he's mortal. I mean, if, if certain. You guys are making the Mike Murphy argument. Yeah. If it's a third or a fourth indictment, what happens is that it's not that they don't love him anymore. They just see him as a loser. They just say, well, shit, he's not going to win the general election. And then it starts, numbers start to drop. Those numbers are quite divided, though, uh, in terms of what what people value the most and if it he's done pretty he's done a pretty you know listen i long ago i kind of surrendered to the realization that the guy has a feral genius for cutting issues his way and he has an incredible instinct for what arouses his base and he has set up a construct here whereby uh every indictment every accusation is a, a part of this plot to stop him yeah and there's going to be an audience for that the question is how big is that audience and is it enough to win the republican nomination i think it's a killer in a general election yeah but exactly. uh tbd is probably james the 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 uh uh the most uh cautious uh and probably uh the most uh, judicious uh, uh answer to that question but um I just don't know, man. I just don't know. No one does. Yeah. It's the hardest, hardest thing to say. You know, you're supposed to know. Well, I just don't. I'm sorry. You know. Yeah. Are you surprised that his numbers have gone uh, up a little? Um, not surprised. I mean, I'm dis discouraged. All right. I, maybe I would hope that somebody would say, you know, I, I just can't go along with this anymore. And. The thing that gets to me is I know a lot of people in that camp. I mean, it, they're, everything about them, they're normal people. They'd they're, they're bring you a casserole if you, you know, somebody died in your family. Yeah. They would, if you had a flat tire, they'd stop on the side of the road and help you. Uh, you know, you see them at the Walmart, they couldn't be nicer. And th th there are a lot of goddamn yeah. crazy ass people in this country. And you, you just, and they're not, they don't wear horns. They look like everybody else. Right. They, they, they're all meshed into to society. And yeah. they actually believe that this is all, I don't know, a diversion from Hunter Biden or, or, or you know, Hillary's emails or just any, just regurgitate the stupid shit they hear. And I, I, I don't know. It's, it's discouraging if you live in a, non-urban you spend a lot of time in a non-urban environment is very discouraging yeah i have the same experience in rural michigan uh and and i have the same feeling about my neighbors you know yeah they're good they're good people they're good neighbors yeah. uh but mckenna you put your finger on it it's really a matter of where people get their what they think is information and if if you're hearing, I mean, it was around the uh, Trump indictment. What was I listening to? I guess it was his speech after the indictment, and uh, that was where Fox did the whole would be want to be dictator thing on the bottom of the screen. Want to be dictator tries to put main opponent in prison, and you do it just underscores we're hearing two different stories. 
completely different stories in this country. And that's going to get worse. Yeah. And the bottom line, David, it gets to his feral framing, which is, I mean, you talk about an instinct and and the way Trump is framing this or the way it gets through to his listeners, they won't hear the tape, but what they will hear is they're coming for you, but they got to go through me first. Yeah. Yeah. So everybody, I recommend that you have satellite radio in your vehicle. Listen to channel 125 all the time. They call it a Patriot channel. And sometimes I listen to it and I get mad myself. <laughs> oh, God damn it again. <laughs> and it's all, it's like it's Mark LeBan or Sean Hannity or Will Cole Hour. It, it's like one massive lie after another. Like they never investigated Hillary's email. Oh, my yeah. God. Come on, please. All right. Yeah. I, I mean, and, and, but if you, if you in that information stream, it, it's, it's a wonder they're not more mass shootings. Yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah I mean, it really is. It, it, they don't don't listen to something else. That is that in, in whatever they're saying that during the day, that's exactly what they're going to say on Fox at night. And increasingly on the floor of the House of Representatives. Absolutely. I was yeah. at that speech on the ellipse uh, before the attack on the Capitol. I almost joined him. Yeah. yeah. I mean, goddamn, they can't be doing that. Yeah. You know? Well, I was really struck by the fact that a lot of people who showed up at the Capitol were, you know, local bankers and lawyers and, you know, regular, regular people who said this. I thought this was my patriotic duty uh, because of what the he told them and what they they were hearing uh, uh, on their networks. Listen, back to DeSantis for a second. So he was the flavor of the fall. He was the guy who was going to take out Trump and save the Republican Party. Got a lot of regular Republican money, even as he moved more and more and more in the Trump corner. And he he's 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 holding, but sort of fading, fading in New Hampshire, fading uh, a little nationally, in you know, hovering around twenty. He kind of switched. He switched his tactic. His original was talking about the Florida miracle or whatever he calls it. Freedom, Florida, that wasn't getting him anywhere. Now he uh, went down to uh, Texas and talked about ending birthright citizenship, which uh, like people probably don't know this, Carvel, and they may not believe it, but you were actually a, f- a practicing attorney at what point. <laughs> so you probably read the Constitution. Uh, this birthright citizenship thing is a little more complicated than a president saying we're not going to honor it anymore. Uh, but but look, remember they're textualist. Yes, exactly. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. All right, read the text of the Fourteenth Amendment. Yes, yes. <laughs> All right, then come back and talk to me. But the whole uh, DeSantis, the 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 meta thing, is to be Trumpier than Trump, Trump without the crazy, uh, and it seems to me that is a that is a tough bet to make. Uh, that people are going to choose you over the real thing? I don't know, David. I think he's in a very strong position. Uh, you know, uh, he's got a gazillion dollars. He's he's by easily the number two, and everybody else is a distant third. Uh, and, and and by the way, with, with the base voters and with the hardcore Republicans, he's got a woke message where he creates a division with Trump, where people say, yeah, he gets the woke thing. Trump doesn't really get it. Trump's disagreed with it. And there's a dividing line there. I think I think the Senate is still in very good position. Among the three of us, I guess, or whatever. 
We've advised, I don't know how many, let's just say 75 candidates. I have no yes. idea, but it would probably be a ballpark. No. So, you know, go over there, you say, well, don't, you know, don't forget to talk about taxes and don't forget to talk about education or healthcare or, or whatever, re- regulation. Who in the world has ever had to tell a candidate, don't forget to act human? Right. <laughs> yeah, don't forget your, go, go out and act human. That's the advice I, I'm going to just say the three of us have never had to render. In yeah. our life, this reminds somebody. Put on your human suit this morning. Yeah. There's nowhere where that matters more than in a presidential race, where they yeah. judge you from a whole, in a whole 360 degree multi dimensional way, and they take a big look at you. You have to pass that test. Right. You know, even Trump in his own way, you know, he was a character they knew from TV. They thought they knew him. He's a performer on stage. This guy, there's, is very strange. But to your point, McKinnon, I agree. James, that that is, to me, that's the biggest hurdle for him is that, uh, you know, I think I said this the last time I was on here, which was a couple of weeks ago, that I did this podcast with Kellyanne Conway, and, she'll, and she said, the big question is, will he love people as much as he loves his press conferences? And she was right about that. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't. So, Mark, I don't know that he can stand the search, honestly. If he, if he you know, I think that ultimately is black. But my point is this. He's moved so far to the to the right that a he really has made himself less electable, not more electable. You want to if Ron DeSantis were the candidate of the Republican Party in two thousand and twenty four, that six week abortion ban in well, uh, I, uh, Florida, listen, I agree with that one hundred percent. The books, the guns, yeah. the he yeah. he is a profile of what all those people voted against in the last fall. Yes, uh, and I think that 22 uh, uh, referendum and what happened there is a, is a good echo of what we're going to see in 24 and where things are headed. I think that's highly problematic for DeSantis in a general election. He may be winning in the short term or losing in the long term, but I think our friend Alex Castellanos said it best about DeSantis. The question is not whether voters like him, it's whether he likes voters. Right. Yeah, no, I think that's James's so, point. So, I- David, you, you, I think you hit the money point here, the six-week abortion right. He never like talking about abortion. It's never been a, you know, kind of voted the standard thing. And he signed it in the middle of the night and hasn't spoken about it. If he right. is the general election candidate, oh my God, that, that's a, that, I mean, that's a killer. Yeah. yeah remember how that wasn't going to be an issue? Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, he signed it. Basically people will tell you a lot of women don't even know they're pregnant after six weeks. Right. Okay. No, it's an it's it's an it's an effective, essentially an effective abortion ban. Absolutely, he can't get from under that. By the way, just to make a point, Democrats have been winning elections everywhere. I mean, just literally everywhere. Yeah. And don't kid yourself. Twenty twenty two, you got to interpret that as a huge Democratic win. I mean, yeah. every historical. I, I, I mean, how about the how about the abortion referendum in Kansas? You know, I was the only yeah, national yeah. Democrat to go to Kansas campaign. Yeah, Carvel, you were actually touting this. Yeah, you were touting that in advance as right. as going to be a big uh, a, a big breakthrough. I, I didn't see that. I didn't see that margin come. Yeah, but I, I kind of figured when the canvases, you know, told me that they were getting all these requests out in Western Kansas, that you know, if you're a CPA, you couldn't put a Hillary sign in your yard or yes. Biden sign. You'd lose all your business, but you could put a vote no sign. And that, that yes. was the kind of indicator that thing was in trouble. McKinnon told me when I called him this morning and asked him to pinch hit for Murphy, he told him he learned more from you in 1984 
working on the uh, Lloyd Doggett for Senate campaign uh, than he has from anybody else about politics. And one of them is was reflected in what you said just now, which is keep your ears to the ground and listen to those listen to those organizers out there and and what they're experiencing at doors and uh, you know what signs are up and what signs aren't up and my uh, my, I was my wife uh, called me uh, a few days before the 2016 election I was sitting on the CNN set she said are you sure Hillary's going to win Michigan and I said "Ah, they tell me she's up by six points she said well that may be but all our neighbors have Trump signs up, and some of them voted. I know some of them voted for Obama. She said, "So I wouldn't be so sure about that." Uh, so having your ear to the ground is uh, is really. We can be up here in our highfalutin world with polling data sitting in front of us, but people may have a different idea, or maybe expressing themselves differently. But Carvel, you've you've always mainly because you're not a creature of Washington, but you, you've always had a, uh, a great ear. Uh, for That's one of the reasons why you've been as great as you've been. And now you know it's one of the reasons that McKinnon's been as great as he's been. You, you're responsible for that. <laughs> well, I, I, I'll tell you what, Phil Graham was a hell of a teacher. I, I mean, the Dickie Flack story is one of the great... I mean, when he would go, he says, they have a printer in my text. And every time you see him, whether it's at the First Baptist Church or at the Boy Scout meeting, he never quite gets that printer's ink off from under his fingers. He works so hard. And every time there's some liberal Walter Mondale, Lloyd Doggett, liberal spending program, I got to ask myself, is that worth taking money out of Dickie Flack's pocket? And as soon as I heard that story, I said, I'm going to have a Dickie Flack every way I go. <laughs> <laughs> and you did. Yeah. yeah, yes. I mean, getting beat. It, you're going to get beat. To get beat and not learn anything is the world's greatest sin. That, that, yeah, I've learned a whole lot more from losing than I have from winning. You're damn right. Yeah, I think we all have, yeah. And, and I'll, I'll tell you, we we won a, a huge upset in the primary uh, and then got crushed in the fall by Phil Graham. It was, it was a Reagan year. But right. uh, uh, James was, as I said, uh, 90% of everything I know in politics I've learned from James. Not that I know that much, but... but, <laughs> but uh, but his relentless focus on on research and uh, and message was just phenomenal. And but but he was a goddamn maniac. I mean, after the primary, he scared the interns so bad we had to put him in a separate headquarters. <laughs> <laughs> you, I'm not. I don't, I don't imagine you want any rebuttal time. I don't know. I, we were running against Bob Kruger. He didn't stamp anything, and we did a, did a press conference. In the and primary, I did, yeah. Anatomy of a spine. <laughs> and he held Doggett, out his, yes. He, 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 lacks his, he lacks his spine. Only, you, he, yeah. you had him carrying around like a around around spine. Right? I'm not going to ask it, I remember, Mark. <laughs> that campaign produced uh, so much talent. There were two campaigns that year, and I was involved in the other one, Paul Simon's race for the Senate in Illinois. And the two campaigns produced so much talent that one sort of generational talent and uh but carvel you you have, have spawned uh a lot of it and uh paul begala was sitting there he's the guy that got me out of the basement get, tell tell mckinnon to get up here and start doing press i was looking envelopes so david the, the 88 loudenberg campaign yeah i was the In manager Jersey, yeah. paul was the the press secretary grizzy was the Larry Grizzolato, yeah, ran, ran the John coordinated Anzalone. campaign. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I could go on. P.G. and Greco was in that yeah, campaign. Yeah. yeah, these are all great, great talents. Yeah, I thought his name was Peter Jean Greco. <laughs> <laughs> goddamn boy, you goddamn name. Gene Greco. Yeah. yeah, he was all of, you know, all of that was in New Jersey. Carville's the Kevin Bacon of politics. Seven degrees of separation. <laughs> We're all separated by seven degrees from Carville. Oh, thank you. McKinnon, I want to ask you something. You brought up a gal. I was chatting with him this morning. And I want to talk to you about this new, this no labels campaign of yours. It's not mine. But you just wrote about it in Esquire and you've been, you're, 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 you're sympathetic. Let's say that you're a fellow traveler in this. I want to give you a chance to uh, talk about it. Cause I, I'll tell you, I'm, let me lay my cards on the table. I saw a Mark Penn's presentation on this, his polling for no labels. And uh, right away that arises, uh, that, that, that uh, sparks uh suspicions because uh, mark has a, a genius for making his data uh comport with his political agenda and uh one of the questions was you know if you had biden trump and a you know i forget the exact wording but it was a it was flattering but you know moderate center of the road candidate running on another party label or as an independent who would you vote for and the number came out very favorably for the third choice. And Pagala said to me this morning, that's like going to the supermarket and going to the cash register and having them say, do you want paper, plastic, or perfection? He <laughs> said, people are going to choose perfection, but that's not the way the real world is. If you threw in Joe Manchin running on the no labels party, Biden in the Democratic Party, Trump in the Republican Party, Joe Manchin's not going to win that election, but he, he could tilt it for sure. Yeah. But, but okay. Uh, so, uh, I just put all my cards on the table. I helped start the organization way back when uh, with the notion that we just needed a voice for the broad center of American politics. And they created this problem solvers caucus in Congress with, uh, it's, you know, I don't know, 60 or 80 members now, uh -huh. Republican, half Democrats, who become an, an important caucus on, 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 on big votes, on, on budget votes. And they've, and they've, uh, you know, they've, They've been a positive force, I think. Uh, but stepping back, I also have always supported. I'm just talking about the election. I'm just talking yeah, about the practical yeah, no, no, impact on this election. Again, I'll go wide frame, narrow frame. Wide frame is that I've always thought it's it's, it's kind of perplexing to me that in the greatest democracy in the world, we basically only have two choices. Public Alice said, yeah, we have Coke and Pepsi. There's no seven up. There's no Mountain Dew. Those, you know, those options aren't on the table. And I've always uh, agree, uh, supported the notion of creating more choices in our democracy. Okay, now, uh, the, uh, in this election, um, uh, they are paid, I, I was part of a thing you know, called Americans Elect in 2012, where we, the problem is that if you want a third option, you can't decide that next summer. You have to get on the ballot in all these states. And so in 2012, I was part of an effort to, to just pave the runway to say, well, listen, we don't know what's going to happen, who the nominees are going to be, but wouldn't it be great if we don't like the nominees, if we have another choice, but you got to get on the ballot in all these states and pave the runway. So we did that in 2012. The nominees were Obama and, and Romney. We said, great, that's fine. We pulled it down. Didn't, didn't pull the trigger. In this case, no labels doing the same thing. They're just getting on the ballot, grading access. If and when we get to next spring and we decide that for whatever reason, the options aren't good. But let me be clear about what they've said very specifically. One, if most Americans are satisfied with one or the other major party, we will stand down. B, we would also back down if polling indicates we would be a spoiler for either party. 
C, Joe Lieberman said that the whole point of no labels trying to get ballot access in 2024 in as many states as possible was not only to make a statement about partisanship of the two-party system, but also to, quote, make sure that Donald Trump is not reelected as president. So my view on all this is like totally improbable, but not impossible that we get to next spring and you have Donald Trump as the nominee and a badly weakened Biden as a nominee because of health, economy, Ukraine, whatever it might be. I hope to God that doesn't happen. I've supported Biden. I like Biden. I think he's done a good job. But like James, I agree with the notion that nobody should be running for president when they're 80 years old. He's not going to be as good next year as he was this year. And that I would sure like to have a plan B if we get to next May. And Donald Trump has beaten Joe Biden by double digits. I, I believe that the Constitution is at stake. And if you believe that the Constitution is at stake, then you have to do everything in your power to protect the Constitution. And a third party in a Biden-Trump matchup would definitely favor Donald Trump. There's no doubt about that. And remember, you got a challenge on the left. Carnell West is going to get votes. And people need to remember there that Jill Stein got more votes in Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin than Hillary lost by. Yeah. So, yeah, and, and if, if Romney would have won, you know, you and I wouldn't have liked it, but we would have still had a constitution. Right. Okay? Right, right. right. No, he was not anti-constitution. Trump is against the constitution of the United States of America. And when the United States is faced with that choice, every correct thinking America says, I will do everything I can to defend the Constitution. And the only way to defend the Constitution is to be who, for whoever is running against Donald Trump. Look, would I rather that the Democrats had an open field and, and settle this thing? Yeah, but as they say in the Marine Corps, wish in one hand and shit in the other and see which one fills up the fastest. The Constitution... <laughs> Is at stake <laughs> right now, and and everybody has to realize this. This is not about feeling good. Yeah, the country is not going to like the choice. I, I'll tell you, if you poll and you say, "I wish we had a choice other than Donald Trump or Joe Biden," you're going to get a lot of people, and they might vote. And you can kiss the Constitution goodbye. Not just the Fourteenth Amendment. You can kiss it all goodbye. I agree 100% with that, James, and that's why I want to break glass in case of emergency plan B. So, McKinnon, among the voters who have an unfavorable opinion of Biden and Trump, Biden leads by 19 points. Fundamentally, Biden has much more to lose with a third-party candidate. As James mentioned, there were 6% six, 6 of the vote went to third-party candidates in 2016, and that's the reason Donald Trump was able to win. And it's particularly important. You know, 41,000 votes made the difference in Georgia, Arizona, and Wisconsin combined. So uh, it just seems dangerous. It, it seems dangerous that uh, to be to be playing uh, this game. Listen, I, you know, either you believe people what they say or you don't believe what they say. And I, I read those three points and they said if it's going to swing the election either way that they won't do it. I don't think they'll do it. Now, I, I also agree with James. I think Cornell West is a much bigger threat. Any, there are threats everywhere. The Constitution's at stake. Don't fool around with this. All right? Don't fool around with it, man, because uh, we can blow the whole gasket here. And, and they're very upfront about it. Okay? They're very, very upfront about it. And all of the, anything that takes away from whoever it is in, in a straight up choice for Trump, 
Because you could run somebody and say, well, I think I got to be a better president. You know, for Michael Bennett, I was Michael Bennett. People say, well, why were you Michael Bennett? Because everybody came up to me and said, you know, Michael Bennett would be the best president. So why the shit should I endorse Michael Bennett? I don't, I don't know anything from the White House, all right? But if Michael Bennett was the third party, I think Michael Bennett would be a better president than Joe Biden. But I wouldn't vote for it. I wouldn't give him, a, he's not, okay? But, but that's not the, the, the choice here. The choice is the Constitution's at stake. And if something it runs a 1% risk of not the, my grandchild not growing up under this Constitution, that's a risk I'm not willing to take. Okay, let's take a break right here for a word from our sponsor, and we'll be right back. James, let's talk a little bit about Biden. You and I have both been, uh, we've both spoken about the issue of age and uh, all of the challenges associated with that. It's pretty clear in polling and in focus groups, this is a big burden. But so let's set that aside for a second, uh, because as you say, he's going to run. He's the candidate. I think he's going to run. I have no reason to believe he's not, although they're getting a slow start on some stuff. Um, What would you be doing right now he's been sitting in the same place for two years and i'm mckinnon i want you to opine on this as well what would you advise him to do and let me put this in a context yesterday he talked about the russia situation the near coup over the weekend jeff run a little bit of that will you i also convened our key allies on a, on a zoom call to make sure we're all on the same page let me emphasize we gave putin no excuse to blame this on the West or to blame this on NATO. We made clear that we were not involved. We had nothing to do with it. This was part of a struggle within the Russian system. I'm happy Joe Biden is president when things like that happen, because with that age that we talk about does come experience. He's right about that. But on so many things, there the the thing that makes you feel comfortable that he's there is also not uh, visible, uh, you know, on the uh, debt ceiling negotiations, he, it, he they were quiet hands behind the scene. He didn't, you know, on a, a number of these bipartisan bills, um, you know, I, I don't want to use the phrase leading fr- from behind because I, uh, I think that's a, uh, it's a loaded phrase, but part of the presidency is just knowing how to do the job. And he does that, but it's not, it's not terribly marketable. It's not terribly visible. So, James, what should he be doing now? What can he be doing to change this equation? Or is it just a matter of waiting for a, an alternative that is unpalatable? Their argument would be this. Come on, James. Clinton ran in 92. He got slaughtered in 94. He never got really credit until late 95, early 1996. Obama won hugely, Okay. He got slaughtered in 2010, and come late 2011, 2012, people recognized that the country was significantly better off. Biden has a better record than neither Clinton or Obama did, and you're trying to extrapolate something from the summer of 2023, and as this recovery keeps going, people will continue to appreciate it and see that the stark choice between Joe Biden and Donald Trump, and just like Bill Clinton did, and just like Barack Obama did, he's going to win re-election. That's what they would say. And everything that they say is true. 
Okay? Understand that. But it looks to me like this dog does not want to swallow this pill. And you can keep tickling the throat. But that third case, come March of next year or come to some of next year, recovery keeps going. People say, you know what? The cost of living is down. The crime rate is down. All of which are kind of demonstratively true. And we got a choice, and we're going to return Joe Biden to the White House. I I can't tell you that's a broad assumption. It could very well be correct, but I don't see it. I'm afraid that this thing is decided, that in the public mind, this is where people are. And of course, I'm going to be for Biden. Of course, by any historical standard, he deserves re-election. Lord and deserves it is yeah. really enthusiastic, sir. But they're just having trouble getting a dog to take the pill. I tell you, man, it spits it up every time. And you ha- you want to you know the people talk about saving democracy, and this is where Morgan and Morgan, if if you you give people a choice that over half the people don't want, the democracy is not functioning right. It's not functioning right. And and I'm very I'm you and I are kind of a like mind on this, David. But they, apparently, they determined to go through with it. They got a theory of the case, and you know, fall back and salute and get in line and march on because what other you don't have another choice. If Biden were sixty years old, I've said this before. Any one of us could take him, and we would go in. Whatever the polls said, we would go in with confidence that we could win uh, this election. Uh, the the age piece is complicated. But McKinnon, the other complication is, uh, you know, people that the, the right track, wrong track number for the country is, is, is abysmal. And it doesn't really reflect circumstances, yeah. but it does reflect the narrative that people are hearing through their channels of information. Yeah. That sort of freezes things in place. The, the frustrating thing for me, and I think James, and you may share this to some degree, is that that Biden could have gone out in a blaze of glory. He should have done the Nancy Pelosi, the Steny Hoyer thing, take the gold watch, hand off the baton, say we got tons of talent out there. Instead, he said kind of a Trumpian thing, which is I alone can fix it, right? You know, well, again, nobody does a good job as 80 as they did at 70 or 60, and it's the present, it's the most important job in the world. Uh, So he's not going to be as good next year as he is this year even. And, you know, I forget the numbers, but, you know, it's, it's way more than a majority that people, including Democrats, that have concerns about Biden's mental and physical health. You asked me what I would do. I think actually, I'm, I'm usually pretty uh, uh, skeptical about anybody from Hollywood having an opinion. But Jeffrey Katzenberg, uh, I've, I think, said the right thing a couple of days ago when he said, he said, just embrace it. You know, quit hiding from this age thing. And, and you know, Harrison Ford is, you know, the, is, is kind of the new 80. Right. He's starring in the new Indiana Jones and Mick Jagger still on tour at 80 and just, you know, get out there and, and show some figure show. But but, you know, don't shy away from it. Just say that, yeah, I'm 80. And I'm in good shape. And by the way, it takes being 80 in this crisis filled environment to have the kind of wisdom and knowledge and experience that I have to be able to do the shit that I've done. Yeah, well, that that's the best argument that he has. The, the problem with the Harrison Ford thing is there are no retakes when you're president. You, you know, you get. You got to do the scene right on the on on uh, on time. So um, I uh, I should point out that uh, because it's actually big news today, the Supreme Court uh, today rejected that North Carolina uh, 
suit uh, that would have basically uh, sidelined the state courts in reviewing uh, in reviewing cases having to do with elections. That would have been a disaster. So you know, it's interesting. The court, James, uh, and now I'm. Um, I'm going back to you as the uh, resident lawyer here. God, <laughs> God uh, help! God help us. Along the governor of Louisiana said of the Attorney General of Louisiana, Jack Grimmel, if you want to hide anything from Jack, stick it in a law book. <laughs> 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 you ought to hide something. Be stick it in a law book. <laughs> but uh, but the rulings on the uh, on the Alabama map on Louisiana, right? Right, right. Uh, and uh, on this North Carolina suit. Kind of interesting coming from this court, isn't it? They're scared, right? I, I mean, they know that they, un, you know, what did Mr. Dooley say? The first thing the Supreme Court reads is the election returns. Uh huh. We have not lost an election since Dobbs. Yeah, all right. I know. Literally, have run the table. Have run the table in Jacksonville, in Colorado Springs, all right, Wisconsin. I, I mean, unheard of to have a ten-point margin in Wisconsin. That's just, that's just. Right. It's impossible. It's defined gravity. And they're trying to get right. But yeah. That's very, very, very clear that Roberts and Kavanaugh, you know, and they are Republicans like Axelrod and Carville are Democrats. Right. All right. That's just who they are at their core. And those guys, they're, they're petrified. And you're going to start seeing it. And, and what they are afraid is, is they lose their influence. Which they people are trusting. Well, you look at poll. You look at polling, oh. and they, they've got a lot to be concerned about. By the way, the, the worst one of the worst ones is Roberts's wife. She was a headhunter for big law firms, made ten million dollars, and she is on the board of one of the most fanatical anti-choice organizations that there is in the country. I mean, that's his wife. I, I'm sorry. I'm hard. I'm hard in a position to criticize the politics of another person's wife, <laughs> but I mean it, they 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 pile on Jenny Thomas, deservedly so, but but she doesn't look like Layla, right? Yeah, I mean she doesn't wear pearls and you know navy blue dresses and well put together. I, but it, it's unbelievable what's going on there. And the Alito stuff, the ProPublica, they don't win the freaking uh, what is it? Pulitzer Prize. Whatever, they, they, they ought to refigure the whole thing. The court has a problem, but it, the shift is interesting, and I agree with you. I think they're aware of where, and Roberts obviously, you know, is deeply concerned you know, about I, it. I agree with that, guys, but I would also just hope, uh, and maybe I'm just being naive, that at a certain point, you know, the highest court in the land, those guys just say, this circus shit is, you know, ridiculous. You know, at a certain point, sort of fundamental law has to kick in. Yeah, okay. Maybe, maybe. But as James points out, you know, there's a history to this. These people don't sit in a uh, in a kind of in a dark dark room without communications. Hey, uh, we got to get to these uh, to some questions. But before we do, I just have one last one. This thing is bubbling up now in the House, and McCarthy, of course, is hostage to the right in his house, and the impeachment thing is bubbling up, and he's sort of intimating that you know we may get to that point sometime soon where. Uh, we, we could impeach the president. We may impeach Garland and so on. I remember 1998 uh, when the Republicans, uh, uh, you know, impeached Bill Clinton. And uh, it turned out to be a hugely negative experience for them. There's no evidence 
that we've seen or anybody's seen that would warrant impeachment. They want to impeach Garland for basically doing his job properly. Isn't there a tremendous backlash, McKinnon, if McCarthy lets this go forward? God, I hope so. I mean, I, I just thought all along that, that you know, the, the, the hostages that have taken over the Republican caucus are going to are going to, you know, going to be, are going to be, it's doom. And that they, they clawed their way to the bottom. And that, that finally, you know, I thought they said, maybe we got to burn the house down to rebuild the Republican house. And that could be it. Uh, you know, it scares the hell out of me to think that they might actually have the votes to pull that off. I can't believe that these Republicans in these swing districts. Well, that's what I was going to say. I don't think those New York Republicans could fade that vote. Yeah. They've gone over everything so far. And again, listen to 125 on the satellite. Yeah. It, that they don't, in other words, it's a total criminal operation that they're running. And it's so, I mean, it's, I don't know how you, you're right, but we have the 20 Republicans, but so far they haven't put up much resistance to anything. So your bet is they'll go along with it, that they're actually going to impeach the president, impeach Garland, have this be the centerpiece as they head into the 24 campaign. And unimpeached Trump. Yes. I'd never, ever, ever underestimate that. Ever. If it's something really stupid to do, they will do it. <laughs> and and I, I mean, in that whole caucus, I mean, now you got this, this unbelievable Margie Taylor Greene, Lauren Bopert. And I said it yeah. before, and I'll say it again. It's like a reality show. They're white trash. This is, I mean, everybody, Mark knows that. I mean, I know that left and right. That these people are, are, are literally white trash. And that's what you got to get, but they they run that caucus, yeah. and I, I'm sorry, it's just true. Well, uh, we've talked about McCarthy many times here. You got to pull out that uh, spine from the uh, Lloyd Doggett campaign, and, uh, and uh, <laughs> might be might be relevant here. Yeah, when somebody's too crazy for the Freedom Caucus, you know it's getting out of hand. Okay, then let's take a break right here, and we'll be right back. If you have questions uh, for the hacks, send them to hacksontap at gmail.com. And let's pick some questions here. So, Mark, Mary, not Mary Madeline, I presume, but uh, <laughs> another Mary said, Trump's MO is a, to trash everyone around him, especially anyone challenging him. How do you think he would handle someone else winning the Republican nomination, knowing he might need them to pardon him if they were to become president? He seems to be pathologically incapable of not being nasty. Would he be able to overcome his natural instinct to tear down uh, when self-preservation is on the line? That's a deep question. You needed some advanced degrees in psychology for that one. Yeah. Well, the answer is he, he would not handle it well. Uh, he doesn't care about anybody himself, including the Republican Party. And that's why I think uh, that Ron DeSantis, uh, his, the, him stepping out and, and offering Trump a pardon before he's seen the evidence or the trial, even though he said he himself would have been court-martialed uh, had he been guilty of the same uh, acts while he was in the armed services. I think this is exactly why, because I think he's he's playing a game of chess and looking at a bunch of moves ahead, and he thinks, well, what happens if I'm the nominee of the party and I've got a pissed-off Donald Trump in the wings? Under normal circumstances, I think that Donald Trump would, in a heartbeat, say, 
well, screw to Sanus. I'm going to serve him up some revenge ice coals. And the way I do that is I run as a third party, not to win, but just to screw to Sanus. I don't care who, I don't care if a Democrat wins. I'm just going to take Florida off the map. All I got to do is win Florida or take enough votes away from DeSantis in Florida for the Democrat to win Florida and toss it to him. I think DeSantis sees that and says, ah, maybe I should thank him a pardon to eliminate that possibility. I think that's probably right. Um, I mean, it seems impossible congenitally for Trump to uh, embrace it. I mean, the idea we've said before here, the idea of him saying, well, we fought the good fight. Yeah. Now we have to lock arms and move forward as a team. And I'll be proud to march behind whoever it is. No, can't see it. No, he can be nice, but he's usually nice to people who he doesn't think through. it serves his purpose to have a lot of these candidates. And so he's welcoming all these candidates and with warm uh, regards and until they say something that pisses him off. Hey, James, Gary says, would there be value in Biden pledging that he would pardon Trump? So interesting. So many of these questions are about Trump, which right. tells you just how big his presence is in our politics. He can say he doesn't want to see a former president sitting in jail. It degrades the office, etc. And it's the on money point question from Gary. So let me give you, Scott, because I've thought about this. So you're the White House counsel. And the Trump lawyers call you and say, look, we'll write a letter to the president admitting guilt and asking for for And But furthermore, you have to call the Fulton County DA and the Manhattan DA and ask them and get an agreement in the interest of the country that you would suspend- Because the pardon wouldn't cover state conviction. Right. That you would suspend your investigation. All right? And- now, understand that we're going and we'll still be liable for all the civil suits, but this is the deal that we'll make. All right. At that point, it's, a, it's hypothetical, but it's not that hypothetical. He is in real, real freaking legal jeopardy. I mean, and, and just getting deeper and deeper. So, if you were, and both of you have advised presidents before, and so they call you in and say, this is what's on the tape, what do you do? It's real life, real time. And this is a real possibility. This is not some, because they, 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 as they go through this, they're going to go, shit, you, you're going to be in jail, dude. Yeah. That, that's, all, that, that's the only way you get out of this. And you're Biden. What do you, do you say, sir, I'm sorry, he's a criminal. You, 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 you do this and it's going to diminish people's confidence in the law. It's going to show that there really is, but the other side is this country, is, we, we can't stay this way. We got to do something. And this is this is something. I don't know. Let me ask you a really crass question. Is there a third person who takes him into the little dining room next to the Oval Office and says, and there's a third thing, we can beat him. I don't know about some of these other guys. That very good a very a very good point. It's the political people say, the hell with that. I don't I don't know. I've thought about this. And I don't think this is just the outer left field hypothetical. You know, when those lawyers sit down and they have them get paid and read the evidence that's right in front of them, and they know what's coming in Fulton County. They know this is coming. Right. They know what's coming on on January the 6th. They got Pence's testimony. I'm pretty sure they got Mark Meadows' testimony. I mean, sir, we can't win this trial. Yeah. You hear all this about one holdout juror? That's harder to do than you think. When you got 11 to 1 and some guys, I'm not going to be for this. What are you talking about? I've been in this trial for four weeks. You know, we're going to vote here. 
Yeah. It's not that easy to just hang on when you got 11 people. But, but at any rate. But remember, it'll be interesting to see what Trump thinks because this is a guy who's beaten the rap all his life. He'd never been held accountable for anything. Right. And uh, is he willing to accept that, hey, the jig's up? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. But they could say, sir, I, I can tell you, in, in the unanimous opinion of your counsel, they're going to convict you and you're going to go to jail. Yeah. And people don't like jail. I, I can I can tell you. Yeah, and those who know say that is the one thing he's really he, he's really scared of. Right. Yeah. You know, they said, sorry, if, if they sent him to jail, they got the Secret Service, you might have to just create all kinds of complications in the legal system, in the country, and they're going to be 35% of the country that's going to be, I don't know, bright or whatever they're going to do. And if you pardon him, you'll look magnanimous and the Republic will go, oh, I don't know, but I can't tell I, I think that's- I think, a- the th- I think that given the cynicism in American politics, if he did that, the, the suspicion would be that he did it to get him out of the race, when in fact he probably wants him in the race, that—that's the whole fallacy in this, uh, this notion that Biden is bringing all these suits because he wants to degrade Trump as an opponent. I don't think he wants to knock Trump out of this race. He, he wants—he wants Trump in this race. He may be the only guy that Biden can be. You know, David, they're like two 89-year-olds married to each other. They can't stand <laughs> each other, and they're codependent <laughs> on each other. All right, <laughs> Biden is the only Democrat that Trump could beat, and Trump's the only Republican Biden could beat. To your point, Mark, it may be that every that the running to the right of DeSantis and some of the other candidates on issues like abortion uh, make them more uh, beatable. But on on the face of it, Trump is the guy that they would want to run again. On this pardon thing, you know, I think about it a lot as well uh, because the image of a former president in prison is not an image that is great for uh, America. I do think, you know, and so you you think he should be held accountable uh, for what he's done. On the other hand, you have to think about that equity as well. But it's a hell of a lot easier question if you're sitting there on January 21st, 2025, and you're the president of the United States, still the president of the United States, than it is in the middle uh, of a campaign. So, yeah, I'd kick it down the road. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm going to skip my question because we're way over time, but it's such a it's such a kick to have you guys here. And uh, Carville uh, McKinnon's <laughs> on uh, from time to time. You got to come back. Uh, so I want to recommend a book. Okay. Yes. We. That's right. I forgot. I forgot to our book club. Yes. All right. This, this book is superb. It's about a fever in the heartland. It's about Indiana in the 1920s, and it's so relevant today. And it involves a a rape, would you believe? It involves everything you can imagine. And so Timothy Egan, who used to be a columnist at Times, but remember, it's a very very relevant book. I I, I recommend it highly. What's the title, James? It's called A Fever in the Heartland. The Ku Klux Klan's plot to take over America and the woman who stopped them. And it's... Enormously relevant. It's going. It's going to be a movie. I, I mean, it, it's just not going to stop. This train has left the station, man. This, this, and this thing is really worth a read. And it, it's like you, you're reading today's newspaper. Really? Yeah. I said it. It, it, it really, really is. And, and boy, we think that what racism's never been worse in this country. Or read the Adam Hoshio book. 
uh, yeah. American Darkness, I think it is, about that kind of same period. Man, that yeah. was a dark ass period in American history. Woof. Yeah, we've we've had them in some of the provocation, massive economic changes, uh, immigration, and so on have been at the core of a number of these periods in don't our history. Discount, just don't discount just base racist. Okay? Yes. <laughs> I mean, that, that's, a, to, for sure. that's a powerful motivator. <laughs> yeah. So if you want to check out these great books that James and Mark and others have recommended, go to hacksontap.com slash book club. You'll be happy you did. Thank you all so much. All right. McKinnon, I'm not going to put you on the spot if you don't want to recommend a book because we just drafted you hours ago and you haven't had a chance to think about it, but you're welcome to if you want to. Well, I'll just double down on my uh, recommendation from last time, which is to get, to get Larry Wright's book about Mr. Texas. It's, oh, I love uh, Larry Wright. Yeah. Oh. He, I mean, he's a treasure, man. He, oh. he can write fiction. He can write nonfiction. Uh, it, oh, he is like the Lumen Tower might be the best yeah. nonfiction book yeah. of the century. Yeah. Incredible. And, Lawrence and, Wright, uh, work in the New Yorker as well. Yeah, he's fantastic. With this trial that we have coming up in Texas, with the attorney general, which is the wildest shit you ever heard in your life. Yeah. And uh, r- only Wright could write fiction that, you know, mirrors what the hell's going on down there. Yeah. It, it's like one of the best writers I've, I've, I've ever A hundred percent. hundred percent. All right. All right, guys. Great Thanks. to be with you both. Thank uh, you. Bye-bye. See ya. Take it. Take it.